Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is episode 83. Uh, we've been away for a while. We thank you for your patience. With me is my co-host, as always, Hunter Ginn. Hello, Jeff. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Things. <laughs> okay. A little of this and that. A lot getting of listening. Right, getting right to it. Thanks for a lot of listening. Really? You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely out of character. Yes. We are going to jump to Seattle for this episode. This is um, one of the first bands to really come from the scene that became popularized and horribly labeled as grunge. I don't think either you or I care for the grunge term, do we? No, it's a, it was a convenient way to label a bunch of very different bands that happen to be from one region of the country during a certain time. I feel like there's a parallel there with Krautrock, perhaps, mm -hmm. in the sense yeah, that... Yeah, I mean, Faust and Amon Duel 2 and Cluster and Can sound nothing alike. Ah, and we could go on and on. I mean, there's so yeah, many. Yeah, 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 you're right. Um, right. And, and the, but the thing is that these were terms coined by, I believe, journalists and not the bands. I don't think the bands ever really cared for uh, this term. And it's the same thing with hair metal, although hair metal was just something that was applied later and as a negative. All of these terms suck. So I'm going to try to ignore the grunge terminology for this show. I, I hope you can do the same. I, I don't know if we'll be successful. How did you look at this stuff and how, how did you enter it? And, and I, I guess I'll, I'll start first because I think chronologically I, I come first with between the two of us. You, you were also, if our listeners are not aware, you were born in Seattle. I was. I was. My parents moved to Iowa when I was just a, a wee lad of, of about one and a half. So, yeah, I do have always felt roots there, even though I, I don't remember. I've certainly you know visited there since. Uh, I do love the place and I do have an affinity for it personally, just because it is where I was born. Here's something nobody knows. I don't think you even know this, but the doctor that delivered me was named Robert Smith. <laughs> I, which, did, I did not know that. As a Cure fan, sort of really delights me, but I'm pretty sure there are more than one Robert Smiths out there. So I don't think it it's was likely. Him. I don't think it was him. But yeah. Perhaps he was. Perhaps he was. Uh, you know, uh, delivered babies before he. I'm not sure that chronology checks out either. But probably not. He he might no. have been a little too young as well. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the precocious Robert Smith. Of the precocious Robert Smith delivering yes. babies in Seattle since age 14. <laughs> since age 14. <laughs> Anyway, um, for me, like Seattle was, I think that my first real inklings of it were hearing Soundgarden in like 88, 89 on college radio. And also around the same time hearing and seeing records by Green River out there in the stores. Melvins were a name that was thrown around a lot, although they had this mysterious element to them as if like they were this weird, super heavy stepchild that nobody liked. And in some ways that was true. I, they were of course lauded, but they definitely were outcasts always wherever they went and then soon moved down to San Francisco. And then, you know, Nirvana, the name started going around. So, so all this stuff was just swirling around. And um, 
I remember loving Soundgarden first, latching on to Nirvana, latching on to eventually Pearl Jam, and of course, discovering Melvin's and Skin Yard, the band in question. This is all late 80s, 89 or so, uh, 90. I was in Iowa City, so I was around these people that were kind of coming from different walks of musical life, whether they were metalheads, punks, old rockers, hippies, whatever, like somehow Seattle sort of appealed to a lot of us uh, because right. they were kind of a melting pot. Like I, I, I heard them as sort of, I heard a lot of the Seattle stuff as a kind of a new mutation of Black Sabbath meets Stooges meets early Aerosmith meets a little Kiss and kind of all, all the time with a punk rock or even garagey sort of approach. All of that appealed to me at the time. Uh, I've been a fan of, of a, a lot of this stuff ever since. And I just look at it as a, as a wonderful permutation, new at the time, permutation of rock. Um, Absolutely. So, so, so your story. I'm really glad that you asked this because Seattle is, Seattle is basically where my entire journey begins. Um, I, the first, I guess, sort of non-commercial rock record that I ever bought I was, this was uh, March of 1991. Um, I was 12 and it was Louder Than Love. So you and I both kind of start with Soundgarden. Yeah. And I remember hearing The Ugly Truth for the first time. Like, first of all, the song wasn't in four. And so it had this weird cadence that sounded off to me. And then those dissonant chords and harmonics come in before the song really starts to take off. It sounded, you know, like um, I had landed on some other planet. Um, and I was immediately taken with it. And so I was fortunate to grow up in a town with a couple of good record stores, one particularly good one that was staffed by college kids who were really into rock and metal and kind of cutting edge music. And from there, I got into um, the first Allison Chains record, Facelift, got into Apple by Mother Love Bone. Um, got into some of the earlier Soundgarden stuff and it was perfect timing. I mean, no one really knew what was about to happen late summer, early autumn of 91. By the time, you know, by the time that, you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana and, and Soundgarden released Bad Motorfinger in September of that year, by the time they took off, I was well prepared for it. And, and that summer too is when I'd gotten into metal. So I, I you know, it was just a really, in a feverish time, a time of a lot of enthusiasm. I feel really, I feel like, you know, you hear people talk about being in high school in 1969. That That's kind of how I feel. Like right, it's, you're you know, I was there yeah. at kind of the last, probably the last really important rock movement that we'll see during our lifetime. Yeah, I it's think. exciting to live through that and, and not only live through it, but like if you get into it, it's, it's obviously even um, more profound. Yeah, uh, and I remember when '91 happened. Of course, into '92, when when you know, then of course the grunge tag got developed by by media. On one hand, I was, I mean, of course, I was very happy and and not surprised to be honest. It always felt there was an accessibility there that maybe you didn't hear in you know early black metal. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but certainly, I remember also going like, where have you all been? Like you know, these bands, most of them had been around for three, four, five, six. In in Skinyard's case almost seven years. Um, not that they got huge, but you know, this, this was a world that was happening before it got big, but, it, but of course, you know, it, it needed some gestation time before the masses glommed onto it. 
We're going to listen to one song from the Skin Yard debut. Now, this thing is known for having come out in 86. It actually technically was released in January 87, but all the important stuff happened in 86 regarding this record. It, it was recorded then. Uh, and that's very early for Seattle rock of this type. I mean, it's probably ground zero in terms of the, the, the big year. I think that was that the year the Deep Six compilation came yep. out? We'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about Deep Six when we get back, but I just want to kind of get into Skin Yard a little bit and listen to something from the self-titled debut. This is called Skins in My Closet. I love that. I think that that early skin yard sound and then going into the second record, Hallowed Ground, that's my favorite skin yard, actually. Really? Um, yeah. I'm in the earlier camp I, because I feel like they lost a little identity uh, as they went on. And I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that there were others that were bigger at the time or anything like that. I just... Uh, it's, it's just their evolution wasn't as interesting to me. I like it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. And we'll listen to sure. some great, great stuff throughout. But these first two have a, a slightly artier side, a more David Bowie-ish side. I think Ben is more charismatic. I think the um, the music is a little more open and less chunky and distorted. So everything. Very breathes, much so. Yeah, everything breathes a little better. And I think Ben's character gets to come out, Ben McMillan, the, the vocalist. And I don't know, you know, it's just, I, I would take the first two over the, the following three anytime. But again, I, you know, I do like the whole discography. I, I, I celebrate. You celebrate the entire, yeah, sure. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, to quote Office Space. Um, 
so yeah good stuff and uh you know speaking of david bowie there's they used to play she shook me cold from men who sold the world that was a live track they used to play in the early days we should talk about the lineup you want to jump into that okay so we've got um jack and dino uh on guitar who is um perhaps best known for his seminal work with curb dog on their uh, self-titled <laughs> 1994 record <laughs> did he really work with curb dog he did oh he my did god he did he, he produced that he also produced um, high on fire in later days okay something something by then yeah, yeah. okay not no i mean jack and dino really one of the the most important uh producers in that entire scene uh, he produced uh bleach for one yep um, but worked with Soundgarden. had a very um especially his drum sound very characteristic uh but had a way of navigating between that garagey sort of aesthetic that you mentioned earlier and the heaviness that we associate with you know with sabbath and with early Aerosmith and yeah. zeppelin and that sort of thing yeah on uh, vocals and rhythm guitar, Ben McMillan, who would later go on to sing uh, in Grunt Truck. They <laughs> Sorry. Were signed. Yeah, every, time, every time that word is uttered, it's just, the, it's of all the bad band names that came from Seattle, which we might talk about later, uh, that's the worst, Grunt Truck. It's one of them. It's but, one but, of them. but Grunt uh, Truck they... was thanked on uh, the second Blasphemy album, Gods of War. So go figure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. They might have, uh, yeah, they might have grabbed a beer find out how they you know both got together Done some um, coke. yeah some coke. yeah yeah we did, lifted some weights anyway sorry um, i didn't mean dug to, up uh, a grave okay anyway um, grunt truck but anyway yeah. yeah grunt truck uh put out an ep i guess you would call the first one an ep but or inside yours maybe it was a full length mm, it, i always remember yeah. thinking it was rather short but then they released um an album on roadrunner in 1992 called push that was given uh, a fair amount of marketing money, as I recall, but I, yes. I, I think was a kind of a commercial failure. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. Well, I and, think, it, I think in 92, any, any label with any power like Roadrunner that had a band like that from Seattle, you know what they were going for. They wanted, of course. To, you know, they wanted the next success. I'm not going to even of say course. the next Nirvana. They knew that these bands weren't all the same, but certainly the, the success Nirvana had and the, the other bands yeah. were having Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, of course, that's what they wanted, yeah. you know. Uh, they fared better than Willard. Um, so we'll Yeah, very that. heavy. Willard, Willard very, was very heavy. Willard was very, the sound of fuck, I remember there. Yeah, yeah. That was their, yeah, their tagline. <laughs> yeah. Ben um, McMillan, uh, we, we should note, he died in 2008 from diabetes. So uh, rest in peace, Ben. Absolutely. Great. I did. I actually really, really like Inside Yours. Um, it, it's got kind of a gloom and an atmosphere for me that ties it back to to Skin Yard in yeah. some way. Oh yeah. Um, I, I I push. I liked it then. Did not age well for me. Got same. Yeah. Push same thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Drummer. Drummer Matt Cameron. He yeah. left Skin Yard for Soundgarden, but uh, I mean in the annals of great fucking monster drummers period, whether you're from the Northwest or not, Cameron is one of my absolute favorites. Probably top 10, top 15 drummer for me, regardless of genre. That's not surprising. Ma massive inspiration. He went on to Pearl Jam, which I'm a Pearl Jam nerd. You, you follow them closely still. I, they like, they did so well by getting him. I think he gave them a lot. And I think with his, 
Matt Cameron writes too. And I don't think he wrote a whole lot for skin yard, although um, he's always been a writer as well. And the stuff he wrote for some in, in a really, really interesting writer within, within those bands too. Oh yeah. I think, I think Soundgarden and Pearl Jam benefited yeah. from him because he was, he would tend to go out in the more left field, the more mm -hmm. tricky stuff uh, that maybe the other guys weren't tackling with their writing. So look, if he had never written anything except for you are, uh, <laughs> right uh, that's pearl jams riot act album yes check it out cool, cool, cool. matt cameron composition so so he's in skin yard so we have like a, a power packed lineup already and of course most of these guys were generally unknown at the time um, but then we had entrepreneur daniel house on bass he was the owner of cz records look him up type in cz records daniel house on wikipedia and you'll find all the records that he was responsible for with that label and i think you, you can imagine how many cz records i had in my collection in like 92 <laughs> oh yeah sure man just <laughs> just about as much as roadrunner road racer right yeah 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 interestingly he was also closely involved with the creative process on helios creed's third album the last laugh mm. we will get to helios creed in a bit because they uh there was obviously a link there between the bands Later, they had uh, drummer Barrett Martin coming in. There were there was a drummer or two uh, between Cameron and Martin, but Martin has to be mentioned now so we don't forget him because he was in Screaming Trees, which is of also a yeah fabulous drummer. Yeah. Um, oh, oh yeah. yeah, really musical drummer. Um, very interested in percussion too. He had a band that uh, was better on paper than than on album called uh, Tuatara. Put out a record on Epic in nineteen ninety seven. It's one of the most beautifully recorded records I've ever heard, but I bought it when it came out and got rid of it the next year. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> let's uh, sample two more from Skin Yard's first album before we move on. Uh, we're going to listen to a little bit of Blind Leading the Blind and the album ender Jabberwocky.
and the more arty tendencies on these first two records because they really do streamline their sound later and i i I personally prefer um as a you know as regular listening albums three and four but i really really cherish these and you know like taking it out of seattle and back to one of our old favorites i mean they don't sound like mind over four but they're they're part of that that melting pot possibility of the mid 80s and and on through to the early 90s i have never thought of that but that's so dead on especially something like jabberwocky that sounds like right early mind over four yeah 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 i mean it could be on out here um yep yep. yeah and i I just yeah i love that yep absolutely man good good call uh maybe it's a west coast thing but um could be i i'm also reminded of that sort of frantic thing like king crimson's neurotica or oh yeah um thela and Jinji, where it's um you know the paranoia oh, yeah it's, yeah, it's, really it's just that paranoid kind of narrative um mm-hmm. chaotic but controlled it just um i wonder if there's any influence coming from there but um yeah really kinetic track and, I, and blind leading the blind to me is just uh another maybe homage to bowie just how kind of epic it is and beautiful and really well sung and special album for, for sure. And most copies that are out there are, have a ton of bonus tracks that are uh, very much worth your time as well. Uh, shall we move on? Let's. Yeah. They had um, a drummer change. Wouldn't be the last one either, but uh, their drummer uh, is a guy named Norman Scott. Know anything about this guy? I do not. Yeah. He, he's probably the, like maybe the least visible member uh, of the yeah, band in terms of his, his resume, but we could be wrong. We're going to listen to uh, two songs from this album. This is another one. This is a very much, I think, in the vein of the first album yet. Uh, I think they probably took a little more time. It sounds like they did. It sounds like it's a little more evolved, I think. Yeah, Yeah, a little more refined, maybe, as the word. Yeah, like they had a little more money, a little more thought process you know that the the kinetic element of the first album is just it's there's so much energy coursing through it and it's a kind of classic debut in that sense um and this one is maybe just a little more a little more forethought went into it both are amazing 
these two songs. One's called G-O-D, uh, which I presume we can just pronounce as God. <laughs> I and, think uh, maybe. <laughs> and in, in the Black House.
from 1988's Hallowed Ground Skinyard's second album. For one, I think we can hear, I think the most noticeable evolution here is in Ben McMillan's vocal style. Mm. Um, he's really kind of dialed in his singing style on this album. And yeah. he kind of sticks to that kind of moving, moving forward away from some of the, you know, the speak singing and the dialogue and, you know, the wild flights uh, uh, from the first album. Yeah, I think he was more eclectic on the first album. For sure. For sure. I mean, I mean just, just more unhinged. I also hear um, them kind of adopting a, a little more of a wall of sound, like mm. really hazy, uh, kind of swirling wall of sound stuff that they would take to even greater effect on the, on the third album. Right. I want to talk real quick about the Deep Six compilation. Uh, this takes us back actually a couple of years, but it's important to note this is one of the most valuable compilations, not just in terms of how much it would cost for you to get an original copy, which is about 300 to $400 these days, mm -hmm. but just sort of how it announces a scene so perfectly. This came out on CZ Records, uh, the bass player for Skin Yard's label, in March of 86. Green River's on it. Green River, of course, became... Mother Love Bone, which then became Pearl Jam. I guess that's the easy way to it. Well, and and Mud Honey. And Mud Honey, sure. Split they split off into two things. Yep. Malfunction is on it, which of course supplied a singer to Mother Love Bone. Melvins are on it with uh, four songs, and a couple of those are I think exclusive to Deep Six. Mm -hmm. um, Skin Yard appeared on it. Soundgarden may have heard of them and uh, probably the only band that really kind of seems to be a little bit left field from the rest of these a, a band called you men which i don't have a lot of familiarity with but i but i understand that they were uh, maybe not as unified sounding as maybe the rest of these might have been at the time no 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 and i think that's why they are where they are on that compilation yeah. in terms of the yeah their their position in the track listing because yeah i mean you know the other bands all a, a little different from each other but yeah i mean there's clearly shared influences galvanizing atmosphere at work you know it's very much a, a you know a scene comp oh no doubt i mean you know you look at these incestuous sort of relationship between right uh, the first five bands i mean how there were people in and out of that i mean even melvin's you know they had um uh matt uh sorry uh bass uh lucan Matt Lucan, Lucan, yeah. who you know played in the first melvins went to mud honey so it's that there's just so much of that happening it's 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 really interesting and no doubt the material is actually pretty good too you know i don't think i'll ever own an original but boy i'd, I'd love to happen upon one in a in a record store someday somebody doesn't know what they have and get it for 15 bucks you know <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream it's a dream we can all dream hey i mean it happened with uh, art kane it so, did happen with Art Kane, yes. The and it happened with, uh, yeah, with Tim and Winterhawk. <laughs> so it can happen. It can happen, people. It can happen. We move on to the third album. This is a, an album called Fist Size Chunks. I love the album cover. Bit creepy, mm -hmm. bit, bit from a kind of a 70s pulp horror vibe, perhaps. I remember, I, and I've talked about this on this podcast when, it, when it's appropriate, but um, you know, I used to run with various types of people in Iowa city. And of course, all music freaks, but they were such a wide and diverse range of people and tastes. And it was really fertile and I, and I, and really, really encouraging for somebody like me who was soaking it all in uh, sort of, you know, sampling a ton of music, uh, right. out, even outside of metal. And some, you know, the people that were into skin yard in this group of what I call the collective Iowa city freaks, 
I remember a lot of them being disappointed with fist size chunks because they seemed to have felt that skin yard lost something. I was trying to figure out then what they meant because I loved fist size chunks. I loved hallowed ground. I loved the first album. And I just feel like there was a consensus that they did turn toward something that I guess later would be known as grunge. I do think it's a heavier album. I do think it's a darker album. Maybe aspects of that just turn them off. I, I'm not really sure. Less, um, yeah, less obvious punk connections. It's true. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't more, know. more rock. I don't think they ever hit much metal, but I certainly, uh, yeah. uh, there was a heaviness present that perhaps the previous skin yard didn't have. So let's sample a couple. Slow Runner, No Control. Two songs, two awesome. Two awesome. <laughs>
slow runner and no control from fist size chunks two songs and i got like about 10 things to say so bear with me brother um <laughs> first no control sounds a lot like nude swirl this band that that you and i love that most people don't or know about they were a band from new i think new jersey uh, yeah and uh, released two things we only know to this day that second one i guess the uh the self-titled on megaforce if you want to know what nude swirl sounds like kind of no control vocally riff wise even that swirling guitar stuff going around it no control actually sounds like literally the blueprint for that album i know so the great call yeah yeah i wonder if never occurred to me wonder if there was any influence um uh, and then we get back to Slow Runner, which is the uh, opener. And I, you know, you can hear certainly the aggression in Ben's voice, but just altogether that heavier, deeper tone, it's, it's definitely, you know, getting almost, it's not as heavy as Tad, but it's, you know, it's more that yeah. than they'd been before. So I'm starting to like understand some of the Iowa City freaks who may not have wanted that. Of course, I was eating it up. And great vocals by Ben on, on that. Um, it features additional guitar by Tom Niemeyer from The Accused, mm. who, of course, we didn't mention earlier, was the guitarist in Grunt Truck. So, again, more, <laughs> more, more incestuous, <laughs> yeah. incestuous stuff. When did you discover Skinyard? We talked about your Seattle stuff, but like generally, what was the first thing you heard by this band? I, I assume it was right around this time. I want to say the first thing that I heard was um, A Thousand Screaming Knuckles. A thousand smiling knuckles. Smiling, sorry, a thousand smiling knuckles. Yeah, yeah. I want to say that's the first thing I ever heard by him. For some reason, I feel like that might be a, a lot of people's entry. Although I, yeah. it wasn't a hit. I'm sure it got played all over like college radio or something like that. We will. Well, get I, to, I, yeah. That's where I heard it. Was on WVGS. Oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Georgia Southern. Yeah. College radio station. We'll get to that. I also I look at the uh, thanks list on fist size chunks, and I see names like alice donut hullabaloo live hmm. skull coffin break i kind of feel like there's almost kinship more there now than with kind of maybe the the sound gardens and the and the mother love bones and the mud honeys i feel like skinyard probably had their eye on sounding a little different than their peers in seattle yeah. um, and i wonder if those bands which i assume were touring partners might have had coffin a break was actually from seattle yeah coffin breaks uh, from seattle yeah, terrible what about band yeah, I my my only memory of Coffin Break was my band played with them in Iowa City at, at Gabe's, the club that we always would play and have great shows at. Uh, but I played pinball with two of the guys from Coffin Break. They were really nice, um, but we weren't we weren't really fans. Cool. Yeah, um, I enjoyed playing pinball with them more than I did listening, I guess. But um, right, I'm sure they'd say the same thing about my band and, and myself <laughs> as a as a as a pinball partner. <laughs> um, we're gonna move on to Gentle Collapse. This is this is just a fantastic, wonderful song on this album, partly because it features Helios Creed on additional guitar. Uh, oh. We we need not mention who he is, but yes, he's the guy from Chrome and of course the solo career, which we did an episode about eons ago. We love him and uh, we love that we get Skinyard plus Creed. That's a that's a wonderful combo. Here's Gentle Collapse.
Well, the first thing I need to say is that you've been housed by Daniel House. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, great bass there, right? Oh, man. Yeah, like really post-punky, nimble. And I'm a lot, you know, really kind of holding down the, the melody as much as the foundation there. I love it. Yeah, it's it exactly because obviously the guitars go off on this yeah. psychedelic. Well, and yeah, when, you, when you've got Helio Screed in the band, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> you better hold it down because he ain't better. Yeah, you better hold it down because he's taking flight. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really, you know, this and uh, 1000 Smiling Knuckles are really high on my skin yard favorites. So, uh, we're going to listen to both of them. I think we're going to close the show with 1000 Smiling Knuckles as a cap. We move on to 1991, that, that golden year of the world reckoning with Seattle. I think this is the time, 91, where, you know, I'm not sure what the band thought, but certainly fans and watchers of the scene would have assumed that this would be a band that would get signed to some major because it was just happening everywhere uh, at this point and you'd start to get major league de debuts by like my sister's machine or something you know? i was about uh, to say dude my sister's machine was the literally the band that came to mind first okay like and you think about a band with this many tentacles into the scene and this kind of pedigree and they were passed over yeah and i'm surprised and with you know 1000 smiling knuckles title track being just such a killer song that that should have been a hit and um yet they hear they were still on cruise i'm not going to say they were languishing on cruise because they were touring and i actually saw them for the first time on uh smiling knuckles tour they were fantastic uh they were great 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 you know but they just never really crossed over but man it's a great album i remember talking to barrett martin outside of the club cool. um and he seemed to be like kind of wondering what was going on like he you know they were they were not playing to the size crowds that most other seattle bands were you could tell there was a little bit of grief or, or worry there like setting sure. in setting in I, and i can only imagine how ben and um and dino must have felt uh and i think by this time house is still in the band he leaves after this album but um house is still there too so we find the, the foundation of skin yard thriving on with a great album we're going to play two in a row here uh one's called river throat the other one's called Words on Bone.
Words on Bone, I think, is about as sound gardeny as Skin Yard ever sounded. Yeah. Um, particularly like Louder Than Love, that droning guitar, the kind of torpid pace of it, and it just I mean, just heavy stuff. It's almost um, like a, another album that Jason Everman wasn't on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I knew you like Everman jokes. Uh, and, and I like everyone. Yeah, why? Well, sure. Why not? Yeah. yeah. I mean, not a lot of people in Soundgarden and old. You know what I mean? Right. But don't really play yeah. on the records. Nirvana, too. Did, right. did he play yeah. on? Did he play? How, what, what Soundgarden albums did he play on? Louder he than Love. Played on, um, he played on uh, Ultra Mega. No, but not Louder. Yeah. Louder was. But not uh, Louder. No, he, Louder was Hero Yamamoto. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, anyway. anyway, enough of everyone. We like you, Jason. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Everman was on Ultra Mega, or was that Hero? Hero's on that, and Hero's pictured on Louder Than Love. Yeah, he is. I, th I think it's another one of those. That, like I said, with my with my my comment, I I, I really wonder a what Soundgarden he actually played on. All right, hold, hold on a second. All right, we're checking the AP wire on this, uh, folks. Just just hang on a second. <laughs> we'll be right with you. <laughs> Um, okay. Oh, he was on, um, <laughs> he did play on the second Mindfunk record. Um, <laughs> right. It's got him credited as playing bass on Low Flux too, but I don't think that's true. Yeah, it's, he's, well, he's just that's funny. Yeah, he ended um, up on so many albums that he he's really in the did. band picture from that album, but sure. yeah, I don't know. And well, then he, um, he played on, uh, um, let's see, he played on Loudest Love which was an EP uh, released okay. in 90. And then he played on Louder Than Live. Um, Funny guy. Um, like he I ended up. I used to have that video. Actually. He ended up in these bands at weird times where he was sort of between albums, pictured on albums, but really didn't play on the albums. It was just a weird Holy thing shit. for this guy. Yeah. Um, he was a ranger in a green beret. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that. I, I knew he was in the army. I did not know that he was elite. Well, he wow. wasn't. Yeah, he didn't actually do things. He he sort of sat in the break room, and everybody else went and did stuff. Um, <laughs> but he's he's in the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so, sorry, <laughs> sorry about the, uh, the the Everman. The guy, the guy went through literal hell to be a Green Beret, and, and yet we make light of it here at Radical. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, forgive us jason anyway um hey, and i want to say one thing about river throat that yeah. um that uh goes back around to something that you mentioned earlier which was that that manic thela hujinji era crimson discipline era crimson a lot of the bass work in that and also that sort of picking scraping guitar sound and and the tempo itself all reminded me yeah kind of the uh paranoid mania that you get in that era of crimson that ur that kind of urban itchy yeah yeah and i'm yeah. sure it's coming from possibly that and other influences i mean if seattle if nothing else was a bunch of guys young guys who were inspired uh, and and probably listening i think on a very wide uh spectrum you know jeff jeff ament from pearl jam uh, everything amongst everything else he was liking it, he was a venom fan you know like yeah. it, it just and it goes on and on like all the weird and different things that these all these guys were into so and that, obviously it shows through. I think it's a really good point about River Throat. We're going to end uh, the uh, 1000 Smiling Knuckles era with Burn a Hole. 
that's burn a hole the final track from 1000 smiling knuckles 1991 skin yard uh, did you know hunter that in 2017 metal injection ranked skin yard at number eight on their list of 10 heaviest grunge bands i, I did not well but thank you, you so much for sharing yeah uh, now i know you can you can you can go on with life who, anyway. who is heaviest i have no idea okay it's, well something on skin yards wikipedia page that i'll choose to believe and then ignore <laughs> anyway on that album 1000 smiling knuckles is a song called nietzsche with the pizza nietzsche being uh frederick nietzsche am i saying that right nietzsche a lot of people say nietzsche. i say nietzsche 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 with a pizza i guess that's uh that's supposed to be clever not knocking skin yard that most of their song titles are great and not silly like that but it really brings to mind how, and I've always thought this, and this is no knock on any of these bands because these bands are great. And uh, what's in a name? Because Nasty Savage is one of our favorite metal bands, and that's a bad name. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I don't even know what that means. Really, <laughs> a savage that's nasty. I mean, you know, because some okay. savages are not so nasty. They're quite genial and polite. But um, no, that's 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 no savage at all. Well, this is this is true. Um, <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so so you're saying Nasty Savage is a redundant name. Like, we know it's nasty because it's savage. Well, it, I, I would say maybe they should have been called particularly Nasty Savage. <laughs> Na Na I, nasty Ronnie, I bet that guy does not smell good. I just, yeah. I've got a hunch. Um, I've never smelled them, but if I ever get a chance, I'll, I'll report back. So, yeah, but the band names in Seattle were, were also, uh, I think, kind of particularly bad uh, let, let's let's start with uh skin yard mm, not a great name how do you how do you know yeah. yeah not i, I mean not bad I don't, I don't really feel anything about it i see okay Just, we'll we'll stick within within their in the microcosm let's go to grunt truck we already mentioned that that's kind of maybe the, the worst because you, they're combining grunt and truck, which is already a bad idea. And then they take one T away and it just looks. I was about to say, and yeah, it's a grunt truck. Looks even worse. Let's see. Um, Soundgarden, not a great name. Never liked that. I'm glad it's one word, not two. It makes it less dumb. But um, yeah. I don't and think doesn't it refer to some sculpture in Seattle or. It may. It's just it's just too obvious. Oh, we're, we were a band and we're a garden of sound. Like it's just, you know, one of those that's. Yeah, it's just silly. Point taken. Pearl Jam, terrible name. Um, yeah, they. That was uh, was that Jeff Amitz's grandmother. That was the that was the um, myth that I think they perpetuated. I don't believe okay. that there's a segment of the PJ fan base that doesn't believe it's it better than Mookie either. Blaylock. It's better than Mookie Blaylock, their original name. That's a name of a basketball player, but still, it's not not a great band name. Uh, and then, of course, Pearl Jam came came out of Mother Love Bone, also terrible name. Um, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so terrible. You know, it's just. Uh, Nirvana was about the only good malfunction with the K malfunction with the K not good. Yeah. Shun S H U. Yeah. That's bad. Melvin's yeah. was good. Actually great. Cause it just, it was so, it just didn't make any, it was idiosyncratic, I guess with their sound. Uh, I'm okay with Nirvana, even though it's not original because there were other bands before that called Nirvana one in Sweden and one in the seventies. Um, who else we got? Allison chains, terrible name. We know terrible the name. That's just, that does, that sounds like a band that, was asked not to stay in Los Angeles. We're, we're going to need you to go back. Well, I don't know if you've heard the original yeah. Alice in Chains, but they were, you know, admittedly, yeah. they, they were, they were glam. A, a glam yeah. band, glam metal or whatever uh, you want to call it. They And so, you know, the name should have changed when, they, when the sound changed because it just was a terrible thing. It's just, you know, they don't sound like that. It's too bad. So no. what the hell? 
this this huge scene that got big had all these great bands with bad names <laughs> it's oh it's always amused me i guess uh, mud honey mud honey i'm okay I, I can live with that one that's not too bad yeah and they just sound they sound scuzzy sounds and, about right yeah yeah okay. all right i'm okay with that i'm sure there's more tad obviously is you know the yeah. named after the the guy um seaweed not a great band name yeah no but not 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 wretched either. not terrible um coffin break lo- oh, uh, uh, love battery love battery that's not good <laughs> not good yeah. wasn't there one called uh something circus oh um clown blood circus. clown blood Cir- oh blood circus yeah, is, blood is that circus. seattle yeah yeah that's yeah mm, that's approaching a great name but not quite getting there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> anywho um <laughs> At least our tangents are staying on Seattle. Ever yes. um, We end with Skinyard's final album. Now, by the time they recorded this and had it in the can, they were broken up. The wind got taken out of their sails. Daniel House left to be with his family and uh, I assume be more hands-on with CZ Records. And a guy named Pat Peterson came in on bass, co-wrote a couple of the better songs on this album. We're going to play two. One's called Wait for More, which is a Peterson co-write. We're going to play a, a, the final song called Slow Dive, which has nothing to do with the band of that name, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly one of the best songs on this album. There's also a song called Western Wall I like a lot, but largely this one, when it came out and to this day, leaves me a bit cold in most spots. I, how do you feel about Inside the Album? Well, I, I think it sounds like a, a, an exhausted band. Uh-huh. I think, um, I mean, by this time, McMillan was already in Grunt Truck. Yes. Um, yeah. In fact, Push was already out. Yes. Um, I, I think Indino was plenty busy as a producer. Like you said, um, House left. Barrett Martin was in Screaming Trees because he was on uh, Sweet Oblivion. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, like, it almost sounds like a, I, it's not bad enough to call it a contractual ob- obligation record, but it sounds like, okay, we owe the label one more record and here's some songs we have and let's just do it. As you say, I think it sounds like a spent band. I mean, I, yes, we, we it mentioned does. it a couple of moments of inspiration two of two of which will play but largely yeah it's it's um they're not really giving us anything they hadn't given before uh, which is always a bit worrying i suppose uh and now in hindsight now that we know it's the last album yeah you, we can hear it but let's uh let's celebrate these this is wait for more and slow dive and I run from you said you don't know how to stand i'm like a lizard in the sand but you wait for me yeah you wait for me
And that's Skinyard. And uh, Hunter, it's been really wonderful talking about this band with you because it gives us a chance to talk about not only this band, but others in the Seattle world. We don't get to cover that too much on this program. Just be by. Oh, and uh, it'll likely be a long time before we do it again. So yeah, I am equally grateful for the opportunity to talk about this subject that really, despite how infrequently we discuss it, is near and dear to our collective heart. For sure. The whole idea of radical research uh, basically says that we wouldn't be covering Pearl Jam or Soundgarden, uh, no diss to those bands, but uh, we love them, but just wouldn't really fit with what we do. Skinyard seem perfect just because they're that perennially underrated left field thing that, you know, never got the attention it deserved. And I think that that's about 85% of what we do anyway. <laughs> so pretty much. Yeah. There you go. Um, please write to us at radical research podcast at gmail.com. That's also our PayPal ID radical research podcast at gmail.com. If you want to contribute, we, we only have a few handful of shirts left and we're talking about doing new shirts, same or similar design on the front. Uh, we have a couple of new slogans on the back that we're going to do. One, one would be um, blow that mind that does not blow, blow that mind that does not blow, <laughs> which we came up with uh, some silly moment. We had another one, didn't we? I might have to rifle. Write, probably write these down. Yeah. Rifle yeah. through Maybe our texts through and emails. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So we'll finally be having things to offer. You can go to radicalresearch.org and look at our store. You can find my fate's warning book there. I will soon have more soul on fire there. And we will soon have more canvas Solaris discs. Uh, all of that, most of that stuff just sold out. So we don't have a whole lot to offer there, but please support us when and where you can. Next episode, we're going to cover a band from Chicago area called Gigan, G-I-G-A-N, worlds away from this episode, same country. We, this, <laughs> you, you talk about psychedelic and weird and challenging. This band is super fantastic. Can't wait to spotlight them. They've been quiet for a few years and uh, also thinking about getting Eric Hurstman to answer a few questions for us, which, which we'll put on our blog Speaking of our blog, we will also have the Dave Murray interview up there soon. Uh, we covered Dave Murray's music uh, two episodes ago, and um, we've just been really late on that. And I, I'll, I'll take the blame for that. We got his answers in, but I've just been busy with the Fate's Warning book. There's a lot happening there. Uh, it's a good problem to have, but um, we, we apologize to Dave too. But we do want to get more information out on that fantastic artist. So um, all that's coming up. So we're, we're not dead yet. We're a lot like punk. We're not dead. <laughs> We're going to close with Skinyard, well, one of Skinyard's masterpieces, the title track to 1,000 Smiling Knuckles. Hunter, love you, bro. Love you. We love our listeners, and take care, and buy some Skinyard. It's cheap on Discogs.
Yeah.